اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم لیسن نمبر 136 سورة النحل آیا 41-64 Now in these verses basically we looked at two attitudes towards the حق One is of those who are arrogant They look down on the truth even if they get it They don't accept it, they oppose it Their words, their comments are very arrogant And they plot and plan to harm and oppose the prophets as well as their followers. And on the other hand is the attitude of those who are humble. Those who accept the truth. Even if they don't fully get it, they accept it. They don't procrastinate. They don't justify their wrong, their sins. Rather they're humble, they accept the truth and they do it. And they they observe it as soon as they find out about it. Now, obviously... the person who will accept the truth and adhere to it in a place where there are people who are against it, there are people who are opposing it, what do you think the followers of truth are going to face? What are they going to face? Opposition. At the time of the Prophet ﷺ, what happened? The leaders, the mushrikeen of Makkah, the influential people, they became the arrogant ones. They justified their shirk. They rejected the Akhirah, they rejected the oneness of Allah, and whenever the Haqq was mentioned, they became upset. They became angry. On the other hand were the Sahaba. Those who accepted the call of the Prophet ﷺ, they responded, they obeyed, they were humble. But then what happened to Bilal anhu? And what happened to Abu Bakr anhu? And what happened to Uthman anhu? And what happened to Musab ibn Umayr anhu? Was everything happy and nice for them? No, they had to face a lot of opposition, hostility, and then it came to the point of persecution. So when they were suffering from persecution, what were they told? Some of the Muslims, they were told to migrate. Where? You learned about it, the first migration was to Abyssinia, Habasha. Soon after that, the Prophet ﷺ sent another group of believers to Habasha. The second migration to Abyssinia took place. But then when the persecution became really out of hand, then what happened? Migration to Medina. And then finally, the Prophet ﷺ was also told to migrate. Now when you are being opposed, there are basically two ways. One is of resistance. And the other is that you just leave everything and move somewhere else. Avoid the problem, go somewhere else where you'll be at peace and you can do what you want. Right? Both are noble. Both ways are noble. Resistance is also noble and hijrah is also noble. Initially in Makkah, what was it? Resistance. Meaning that's what the Muslims showed. But then what happened? When it became out of hand, then it was that they were told to do hijrah. Now again, when a person is being opposed, when he's not being allowed to do what he believes is true, then there's two attitudes. One is that you stick it out, you don't give up. You adhere to your beliefs, regardless of the price that you have to pay, whether it is resistance or relocation, hijrah, whatever it may be. Or that you say, you know what, it's too tough. I can't do this. God's you know, not too strict. He's merciful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't demand this from us. You know what, it's okay. Allah knows my situation. I will let go of this. I will leave this. I will also leave this. I will stop doing this. And as a result, eventually... It doesn't even seem like a person believes. Hmm? So in the next ayah, 
This is what is mentioned. وَالَّذِينَ هَاجَرُوا فِي اللَّهِ And those people who did hijrah in the cause of Allah. Meaning the Prophet ﷺ and his companions. They did hijrah. فِي اللَّهِ In, meaning in the cause of Allah. Because they believed in Allah. They did hijrah in order to earn the pleasure of Allah. مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا ظُلِمُوا Because they had been oppressed. They had been wronged. They had been opposed. They were persecuted. Why were they persecuted? Because of the truth that they wanted to adhere to. Because of the truth that they wanted to practice. Allah says, such people who've had to leave their homes for the cause of Allah? No, don't think Allah is going to leave them deprived. No, He's going to compensate them with something that is far better. لَنُبَوِّئَنَّهُمْ Surely we will definitely settle them. بَوَّأَ To settle. Allah will definitely settle them, give them a home, fit dunya in this world, hasana, which is good. In this dunya, He will compensate them with what is better. Like when the Muslims migrated to Medina. What kind of a home did they find in Medina? Think about the welcome they received. Do you hear about such welcome anywhere throughout history? That some immigrants came and people welcomed them happily. Now what happens? Immigrants are coming and people say, go back, go back, go back. We don't want you here. You are a strain on our economy. You are a burden on us. We have so many problems because of you. But look at the home that the muhajireen found in Medina. لَرُبَوِّئَنَّهُمْ فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنًا وَلَأَجْرُ الْآخِرَةِ أَكْبَرُ And surely the reward of the hereafter is far greater. لَوْ كَانُوا يَعْلَمُونَ If only they knew. Who knew? Those who expelled them. The mushrikeen. If only they knew that what they got in Medina was better than what they left behind. And what the believers will find in Jannah is going to be far better than what they have left in this dunya. You know, the enemy wanted to harm them. But they weren't successful in harming them. If only they knew. And لَوْ كَانُوا يَعْلَمُونَ can also refer to those believers who are hesitant in taking this big leap for the cause of Allah. This big step in the way of Allah. They're hesitant. They're afraid. Allah says, if only they knew that when you leave something for Allah, Allah will compensate you with something that is far, far better. So, remember the context of this ayah. It's a Makki surah, right? And persecution had increased. Hijrah had been taken place. So, the believers are comforted. That don't worry. When you have to leave your home, when you have to leave your friends, your relatives, the city, the streets, the markets that you were so familiar with, don't worry. Life is not over. Allah will give you better. Allah will give you something much better now and later. And this is a promise for who? Just the muhajireen? Who immigrated with the Prophet ﷺ? No. For everyone who leaves something for the sake of Allah. When you leave something for Allah's sake, don't feel like you have lost something. No, you've actually gained something. You've actually gained something. Gained what? Something that is much better. It's like when you are investing your money, you feel like, oh, those $5,000 are gone. But no, no, don't think it's gone. It's going to bring you more. It's going to bring you more. When you're paying for your education, and you're like, 10 grand for one year, ouch. You know, I tried so hard to save all this money. My father worked so hard to save all this money, and it's gone. Don't worry, it's not gone. 
When you get your degree and you get a job, you'll make this money back in two months. You'll make this money back in three months. Insha'Allah. <laughs> Insha'Allah. Allah put barakah in that. So this is what we hope in this world, right? Now again, when a person gives up something for Allah, Allah will give him much better now and later. And this is a huge encouragement for everyone who is confused about who's in that dilemma that should I hold on to what is right or should I be a little relaxed here? What should I do? What do we learn from this? Don't compromise when it comes to haq. When it comes to Allah's command, don't compromise over there. Don't. Stick to it. Adhere to it. Be firm on it. And Allah will give you. Allah will give you something much, much better. You see, the thing is that this deen, it demands a change from us. A change. A big change. A change in lifestyle. A change in our thinking. A change in our habits. The way we speak. The way we dress. The way we celebrate. The way we entertain ourselves. So this change can be very difficult for many people. You know, there's a certain point up to where you can say, yeah, I can make these changes. But this is going a little too far. I don't think I can switch my job. I don't think I can, you know, change the way I dress. For each people, because their weaknesses are different, their struggles will also be different. But those people who make that change, for them is a huge reward. And for those people who don't make that change, then what do they have at the end? A little enjoyment of this world and nothing beyond that. May Allah protect us. So this is where we all need to look at ourselves. That since I have come to learn about the many commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what is it that I have changed in my life? What is it that I am striving to change in my behavior, in my habits, in my lifestyle? That anything I found contradicting Allah's law, I left it. Even though I had been doing it all my life. I left it because it contradicts Allah's law. I replaced it with something better. And even if I did not find anything better right now, I leave the matter to Allah that wala ajrul akhirati akbar. The reward of the hereafter is better. Those who change themselves according to Allah's law, His directives, those are who? People of knowledge. Because Allah says, لَوْ كَانُوا يَعْلَمُونَ If only they knew. So those who actually bring about this change, who keep adjusting themselves, they are people of knowledge. And those who don't change, do they have knowledge? Do they have that ilm? No. Because ilm, what's the proof of that? That a person has knowledge, what's the proof of that? Actions. The change, the adjustment that has been made in the attitude, in the behavior, in whatever it may be. You know, for example, if there is someone who is, let's say, eating something haram. And it's clear that it's haram. And you see that they're eating something haram. You give them the benefit of the doubt, oh, they don't know. But if you come and ask them, you try to tell them, and they say, yeah, yeah, I know. You know, yet you don't know, like what's going on here? If you know, then how come you're eating this? And if you don't know, then I'm telling you, stop. So who is it that has really gained knowledge? The one who has brought about a change in himself. 
Who are those people? Alladina sabaru wa ala rabbihim yatawakkalun. They are those who do sabr. Sabr. Why? Because this change requires a lot of sabr. When you have to hear things from people because of the change that you're making in your lifestyle, in your speech, in your uh, dressing or whatever it may be, you have to do a lot of sabr over what you hear from people. What you receive of hurt from them. And also, you have to do sabr. And the greatest opposition is from where? From the heart. Because other people, when they say something to you, you can block them off. You know what? You're pretending to hear, but you're not actually listening to them. You can walk away. But if your heart is frightening you, if your heart is not ready, can you block that off? Can you shut that off? Can you walk away from it? No. So what is the most important thing, most important requirement for change? Sabr. الَّذِينَ صَبَرُوا وَعَلَى رَبِّهِمْ يَتَوَكَّلُونَ And they rely upon their Lord. With regards to what? The future. The future. Because obviously when you make a huge change, then you are scared. What's going to happen later? What's going to happen? So at that time, you do tawakkul on Allah. It's okay. Allah will take care of me. Allah will provide for me. Allah will substitute this with something far better. وَعَلَى رَبِّهِمْ يَتَوَكَّلُونَ I've been trying to make my wardrobe better and stuff, like more Islamic and stuff. And um, because of that, most of my clothes are now very plain and very like elderly type clothes, right? Boring. So Yeah, boring. So like... Because of that, many people like mistake me for my mom's sister. So, like, whenever my relatives hear about this, they're like, "Why don't you just dress like a girl?" And I'm like, "That that would defeat the whole purpose of get, in gaining ilm, right? There's no point." So there's sabr required over there that when you're out somewhere, and you and your mom are both dressed in a very similar way, an average teenage girl would be dressed differently from her mother, very differently. So when you hear such comments from people, it's very discouraging. It's discouraging. So what do you need over there? Sabr. And tawakkul also. Tawakkul also, with regard to the future, that hopefully things will change. Hopefully, you know, it will get easier. Hopefully people will understand. And you know what? Inshallah, Allah will give me something better. So these two things are key to a successful life. Because life, if you want to have progress throughout your life, if you want to become a better person in anything that you're doing, if you want to improve, you need to constantly change. Meaning adjust. Adjust according to your circumstances, according to your situation. And for us, we change according to what? What we learn, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala likes. So that is scary. That is painful. And it also requires a lot of hope. And reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَعَلَى رَبِّهِمْ يَتَوَكَّلُونَ And this is true. That when someone leaves something for Allah, Allah will give him better. When a person relies on Allah, Allah will not disappoint him. The Sahaba left Makkah. They left their homes. They left their money. You know about the stories of Hijrah. They had to leave their loved ones also. But in Medina, did they not find amazing brothers and sisters? amazing friends who loved them sincerely, who preferred them over themselves. And in Medina, 
did they not find the benefits of this world also? Of course they did. Yes, initially there was a lot of struggle. But soon, what happened? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala replaced their poverty with wealth. Umar anhu, when he was the Khalifa, he would give huge you know, monthly stipends to the muhajireen, like large sums of money to the muhajireen. And he would say to them, خُذْ بَارَكَ اللَّهُ فِيهِ هَذَا مَا وَعَدَكَ اللَّهُ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَمَا ذَخَرَ لَكَ فِي الْآخِرَةِ أَفْضَلُ Take it. May Allah bless it for you. This is what is promised to you in this life, but what Allah has stored for you in the hereafter is much better. Much better. And then he would recite this ayah. That those who do hijrah, who leave what they love for the sake of Allah, Allah will provide them a good home in this dunya, and certainly the home of the hereafter is better. But this cannot be done except by who? الَّذِينَ صَبَرُوا وَعَلَى رَبِّهِمْ يَتَوَكَّلُونَ So these two things, sabr and tawakkul. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ And we did not send before you anyone, meaning any messenger, because you over here refers to the Prophet ﷺ. Remember that whenever the singular form is mentioned, okay, you, meaning a person is being addressed and it's in the singular form. The primary address is to who? The Prophet ﷺ. And then sometimes the address is extended to his ummah also. Alright? This is just like uh, when the older child is being addressed indirectly, who is being told? The entire family. So remember that sometimes the address is exclusively to him, the Prophet ﷺ, and sometimes it is directed to him, but who is meant? His ummah. Over here, who is the address to? Who is the address to? وَمَا أَرُسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ Who? The Prophet ﷺ. Is the ummah meant over here? No. Because obviously, there were only some people who were chosen as messengers, and after Muhammad ﷺ, is there any messenger that is coming? No. So we did not send before you, meaning any messenger, illa except rijalan, men. Meaning every messenger that came before you was who? A human being. Rijal is a plural of rajul. And rajul is used for a man. So first of all, this tells us that all prophets were human beings, not angels, not jinn. And secondly, who were they? Men and not women. Now a person might say, why? Why not? How come there weren't any women messengers? Why were messengers always men? Because the responsibility of prophethood is not an easy one. It is not a simple one. It's actually quite difficult. I mean, you're studying the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his seerah. And you know that the kind of difficulties he had to endure were not that simple. And for that, you need physical strength, and you also need emotional strength, which in general, who is better at? Men or women? Men. How often is it that you see men crying? Huh? As opposed to women or girls. How much do they cry? Over every little thing, right? And also, the thing is that over time, throughout history, throughout various civilizations, various cultures, who is it that has always been given a leadership position, generally? It's the men. 
So this is within the nature of people that they will accept something coming from a man, especially a man. He will only accept something coming from a man. But he will not accept it coming from a woman. Do you agree with me or no? I'm not saying this is how things should be, but this is how they are. Whether we like them or we don't, this is how it is. And also remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given each person their own strength. Women have their own strengths and men have their own strengths. And the strengths, the abilities that men have been given, they are more suitable for prophethood as opposed to the strengths that the women have been given. So, وَمَا أَرُسَلَّا مِن قَبْلِكَ We have not sent before you إِلَّا رِجَالًا except for men نُوحِي إِلَيْهِمْ We did wahi to them. Meaning, wahi was sent to them. Our message was delivered to them. And this is how they became different from the rest of the people. What is the difference between the prophets and the rest of the people? What's the difference? Wahi. The prophets receive revelation and the other people, they do not receive revelation. The difference does not lie in their physical body in the sense that the prophet is made of light and the people are made of you know, mud, they're human beings, they're made of human matter, but the prophets are made of light, so they don't have a shadow. No, there's no basis for that. The only thing that differentiates a prophet from the rest of the people is what? Wahi. And obviously with the wahi, there are other characteristics also. فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ So ask the people of dhikr. What does dhikr refer to? Scripture. Because whether it is the Qur'an or a scripture that was given before, what was the purpose of it? Remind people of their purpose in life and teach them that which they will remember so that their lives can improve. So that they can worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ People of the dhikr. Who are the people of dhikr? People of the scripture. The scholars of the Jews and the Christians. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ask them. Ask them what? That who were the previous prophets? Were they human beings or something else? And what is the answer that they will give you? That all the previous prophets were who? They were human beings. In kuntum la ta'lamun, if you do not know. Meaning if you don't know about this, whether the prophets were human beings or angels, then what should you do? Start assuming things? No. Ask the people who do know. Even if they're not Muslim. Because the scholars of the Jews and Christians, what were they? They were Muslim at the time of the Prophet ﷺ? Majority of them were not. But still the Qur'an is telling us that we should ask them. So what lesson do we learn from this? That anything in life, when we don't know about it, if we are ignorant about it, don't draw your own conclusions, don't go on assuming things yourself, rather ask the experts. Ask the people who have knowledge about that science, about that field. And this is a very, very amazing principle. That some people, they said that, oh, you said that in your Qur'an you will find guidance about everything. What about such and such matter? There's no mention of this in the Qur'an. And what about that matter? There's no mention of that in the Qur'an. So you know what answer they were given? This ayah. That, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ If you don't know about something, go ask the experts. So the Qur'an teaches us about everything. And this principle, that if you don't know something, go ask the experts and find out. So this is a solution to every question. Every problem. فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ 
Now, what does this ayah mean? Why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us over here with so much emphasis that the previous prophets were also human beings? Because the people of Arabia, they objected at the prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa that how could you be a prophet when you're a human being like us? How is that possible? If you're a human being like us, what makes you so good that you should be chosen as a prophet? And how could you have the ability to receive revelation from God? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers over here that this is how it has always been. This is not something new. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa is not a new prophet. There were prophets before him and they were also human beings. In Surah Al-Furqan, Ayah 7, it is said, وَقَالُوا مَا لِهَذَا الرَّسُولِ يَأْكُلُ الطَّعَامَ وَيَمْشِي فِي الْأَسْوَاقِ That what is wrong with this messenger? What kind of a messenger is this? That he eats food and walks about in the markets? If he is supposed to be a prophet, he should be sitting on some fancy chair, you know, with so many people around him, and he should have a lot of money and a lot of superpowers. What kind of a prophet is he that he lives like a normal human being, he eats food, he has a family, and he suffers the trials and difficulties and problems of this life? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, yes, he is a prophet. Yes, he is a prophet. A human prophet, a human messenger. And this is what makes him the perfect messenger. Because if he was not a human being, how could people relate with him? How is it that he could relate with the people and convey the message to them? The Prophet ﷺ was so perceptive. He was so understanding of people. He was so kind and friendly with them. And this is the reason why people were attracted towards him. And this is the reason why they were able to accept his advice. Because of his behavior and the fact that he was so good as a human being. If he was an angel, people would be scared. If he was not a human being, some other creation, then again, there would be a barrier, there would be a big gap. So, yes, the fact that the Prophet ﷺ was a human being, that is being proven over here. And at the same time, people are being taught that if you don't know about something, don't go on objecting and passing judgments. Go ask the people of knowledge. بِالْبَيِّنَاتِ zuburi. With the clear proofs and the written ordinances. Meaning, every prophet that was sent before you was sent with what? Bilbayinat, with the bayinat. As well as a zubur. Bayinat is a plural of bayina. What does it refer to? Miracles. Miracles that the prophets were sent with so that the people would be convinced of their prophethood. People would be convinced of their truthfulness. And these bayinat, they helped the people believe in the prophets. So, in other words, we are being told that it's not difficult for you to recognize Muhammad ﷺ as a messenger. He has been sent with clear proofs, clear evidences, as well as was zubur. And the zubur. Zubur is a plural of zabur. And zabur is from the root letters, zaybara, zabara. Zabara literally means kataba, to write. What does it mean? What does zabara mean? What does it mean? To write. Okay. So what do you think zabur is? Literally. Something that is written. Clear? Now zabur is also used for what? Is also the name of what? The book that was given to who? Dawood alayhi salam. Hmm? So... 
Over here, Zubur does not mean the scriptures of Dawood a.s. Zubur over here in its literal sense that the prophets were also given written messages, meaning ordinances, commands, knowledge, laws. It doesn't mean that every prophet was given a written scripture, but rather what it means is that when something is written, it means that it's legal. It's coming from somewhere, it's being sent to someone. And obviously what is written is something important. It was worth writing. Either it had a command or it had some advice or some important news, some important knowledge, information. So Zubur over here gives a meaning of messages, scripture, knowledge, laws, commands. So the prophets were equipped. The prophets were equipped with two things. Proofs as well as scripture. وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الذِّكْرَ and we have sent to you, O Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, a dhikr, the reminder, meaning the Quran. Why? لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ So that you can make clear to the people. You can do tabyin for the people. Tabyin is to clarify. Bayan is to be clear. So tabyin to clarify. So we sent the scripture to you. Why? So that you can clarify لِلنَّاسِ for the people. Clarify what for them? مَن نُزِّلَ إِلَيْهِمْ That which has been sent to them. And also the scripture was sent with you so that you can explain it. Why? وَلَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَفَكَّرُونَ And so that they can reflect. Now if you think about it, guidance, hidayah, was sent through two ways. Prophets as well as scriptures, books. Now, was it not easy for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to just send the book? Was that possible? Of course. Would it be sufficient to guide people? Would that be enough for the guidance of people? Just a book? No. What was sent rather? Who was the book sent with? A messenger. A hamilul kitab. A sahibul kitab. Why? Because you see, today people will say, Oh, the Qur'an is there. Just look into the Qur'an. Just interpret it however you want. Just read the text. And interpret it yourself, use your own mind to interpret it. Forget about what the Prophet ﷺ said, that was 1400 years ago. We don't really need that. We don't really need to accept the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. And you hear these kind of arguments all the time. And especially when people say things like, the Qur'an should be reinterpreted. There should be a modern interpretation of the Qur'an according to today's world. Some interpretation that will actually fit in today's world. That can be a source of guidance for people today. But is this correct? No. Because if the Prophet's instruction was not necessary, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not have sent prophets. Then He would have simply sent scriptures. But the fact that Ihamil al Quran, the Sahibul Kitab was sent, someone who brought the book, a messenger was sent. What does it mean? That you cannot separate the book from the bringer of the book. You cannot separate the scripture from the Prophet. They're both connected. Both of them together become a source of guidance. Over here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains to us that the reason why the Qur'an was sent to the Prophet ﷺ, the reason why he was chosen as a messenger to receive the Qur'an and then deliver it to the people was what? Highlight this word, لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ This was the Prophet's job. His job was not just to convey the Qur'an. 
just recite the Qur'an so that the scribes would write it down, so that the people could memorize it, and then pass it on from generation to generation. No. Yes, that was one of the things that the Prophet ﷺ was required to do. يَتْلُوا عَلَيْهِمْ ayati That he recited to the people the verses. But in addition to that, what was the role of the messenger? لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ You explain to the people that which has been revealed to them. Because otherwise they cannot understand the Qur'an. They cannot understand the Qur'an without looking at the sunnah of Rasulullah wasallam. Let me give you an example. The last three verses of Surah Al-Baqarah. What do they say? Beginning from لِلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ إِن تُبْدُوا مَا فِي أَنفُسِكُمْ أَوْ تُخْفُوهُ يُحَاسِبْكُمْ بِهِ اللَّهِ That to Allah belongs everything that is in the heavens and everything that is in the earth. If you reveal what is in your heart or you hide it, Allah can call you to account. فَيَغْفِرُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ وَيُعَذِّبُ مَنْ يَشَاءُ Then He can forgive whomsoever He wills and He can punish whomsoever He wills. When this ayah was revealed, the Sahaba, what happened? They were so worried. They're like, okay, with regards to our actions, with regards to our words, we can control them. But our feelings, our questions, our thoughts, if Allah holds us accountable for that, we're doomed. So they went to the Prophet ﷺ seeking clarification. That what does this mean? And the Prophet ﷺ explained to them what that meant. And you've studied the tafsir of these verses earlier. Hmm? Now this is just one instance where when the Sahaba heard an ayah, they could not understand how they were to implement it. So they sought the clarification from who? From the Prophet ﷺ. Another ayah in the Qur'an about iman and zulm. وَلَمْ يَلْبَسُوا إِمَانَهُمْ بِظُلْمٍ That he does not mix his iman with zulm. So the sahaba, they're like, which one of us is free from zulm? Every single one of us commits zulm. So the Prophet ﷺ said that, no, zulm over here does not mean any sin. What does it mean? Shirk. إِنَّ الشِّرْكَ لَظُلْمٌ عَظِيمٌ You know when you read instruction somewhere, you're like, what does it mean? I don't fully understand it. What do you want? A video tutorial. Someone to show you. What happens in a test? The questions are written clearly. But still, people keep calling the teachers. They keep asking the invigilators. And they say, we're not allowed to tell you anything. All the instructions are there on paper. But as human beings, what do we want? That human connection. Another person to explain to us what is written. Even though we can read it ourselves. So, لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ مَا نُزِّلَ إِلَيْهِمْ وَلَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَفَكَّرُونَ And so that they can reflect. So, what do we learn? That the Qur'an, it tells us what to do. And the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, it tells us how to do. The Qur'an tells us the law, and the sunnah tells us the procedure. It's the practical aspect. It's the practical demonstration. And both are needed. You need the instructions, And you also need a demo. Remember that there are different ways of understanding the Qur'an. If you look at an ayah of the Qur'an, there are different ways of doing its tafsir or interpreting the ayah in order to understand it. One is that you look at the rest of the Qur'an. Okay, you look at the rest of the Qur'an. So for example, iman is mentioned in one place. Now you wonder, what is iman? So you look at the rest of the Qur'an, that what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tell us about iman? 
So for instance, Surah Al-Baqarah, you open up, you find out, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ وَيُقِيمُنَ الصَّلَاةَ وَمِمَا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ And then you also learn, وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ وَمَا أُنزِلَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ وَبِالْآخِرَتِهُمْ يُقِنُونَ So from these verses you find out, okay, iman is that you believe in the akhirah, you believe in the scriptures. So this is one way of interpreting the verses of the Qur'an. The second way is that you look to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Did the Prophet ﷺ explain an ayah of the Qur'an in any way? Now remember that the Prophet ﷺ did tabiin, he clarified the verses in three ways. He told us the meanings of the verses, how? In three ways. First of all, through his words. When he told the people. So for example, he said, no, zulm over here does not mean sin, it means shirk. This is what? His words, his statements that explain the Qur'an to us. Secondly, his actions. Now for example, in the Qur'an over and over again, you learn about as-salah. وَيُقِيمُونَ as-salah. Tell me, which ayah of the Qur'an, which surah of the Qur'an tells you the method of prayer? Which surah? Where is it mentioned? The method of prayer. It's not there in the Qur'an. So then, how is it that you will establish the prayer? You will just say, oh, salah means prayer, so you just you know, remember God wherever you are, ask Him for whatever you need, in the morning, in the night, during the day, whenever you feel like it, just raise up your hands and you pray to God. In fact, you don't even have to do that, just pray to God in your heart. Is that what it means by yuqimun salah No. When you look at the life of the Prophet ﷺ, you find that salah has a specific meaning. It's a specific act of worship that is supposed to be performed at specific times in specific ways. Now the third way in which the Prophet ﷺ explained the meaning of the Qur'an was through approvals also. Okay, through his approvals. When someone did something and he approved of it. And there are numerous examples of this. So for example, at one occasion, this man, he was traveling with his companions, and uh, at night, what happened was that he became junub and he needed to take a bath. But it was extremely cold or he was very sick, so he did not take a bath, and he prayed salah without having taken a bath. When the Prophet ﷺ was informed about this, the Prophet ﷺ said, you prayed without taking a bath, he said, well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ Don't kill yourselves. So I remember that ayah that, you know, you're not supposed to kill yourself, and if I were to take a bath in that cold night, then I would literally die. So the Prophet ﷺ smiled to the point that he was laughing. So what does it mean? He approved of this action, that if a person is sick, or he fears that he's going to get sick, or he's going to die, Okay, his illness is going to get really bad if he takes a bath. So he does not take a bath and instead he performs salah with tayammum. The Prophet ﷺ sunnah tells us that you can do that. So the point that I'm making over here is that understanding the Qur'an correctly is impossible without referring to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. If you don't refer to the sunnah, you cannot understand the Qur'an. And remember that the Qur'an was revealed in a certain context. You know, when there were certain situations in the life of Rasulullah ﷺ, it was then that those verses were revealed. So you cannot remove the verses from the context in which they were revealed in. You cannot separate them. You have to keep both of them together.
so لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ مَا نُزِّلَ إِلَيْهِمْ وَلَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَفَكَّرُونَ and so that they would give thought they would reflect reflect on what? on the Qur'an because when they see the Prophet ﷺ reciting the Qur'an reflecting on the Qur'an acting upon the Qur'an then it helps the people understand the Qur'an better and if they do not understand how can they reflect how can they derive lessons for themselves recitation وَالَّذِينَ هَاجَرُوا فِي اللَّهِ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا ظُلِمُوا لَنُبَوِّئَنَّهُمْ فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَةً وَلَأَجْرُ الْآخِرَةِ أَكْبَرُ لَوْ كَانُوا يَعْلَمُونَ الَّذِينَ صَبَرُوا وَعَلَى رَبِّهِمْ يَتَوَكَّلُونَ وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ إِلَّا رِجَالًا نُوحِي إِلَيْهِمْ فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ بِالْبَيِّنَاتِ وَالزُّبُرِ وَأَنْزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الذِّكْرَ لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ مَا نُزِّلَ إِلَيْهِمْ وَلَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَفَكَّرُونَ